Today on the Topping Show, trans swimmer Leah Thomas is banned from worldwide competition. Bud Light down at $390 million in sales compared to the same time period last year. Bud Light mindset tweet and man dancing tweet both fall flat. Is Bud Light actually buying positive comments on Twitter slash X platform? Bud Light business blunder actually causes companies to change their hiring practices. Twitter X now allows users to hide their blue check mark. Lizzo is sued for fat shaming and sexual harassment. The U.S. government spent $1 trillion on EV buses, but is already having some issues. The incandescent light bulb is still under attack and killed thanks to the Biden administration. Warner Brothers Disney's to have a $1.2 billion loss, while Jewel is seeking $1 billion in funding. Liongate also to acquire E1 Studios from Hasbro. Apple sales fall for the third consecutive quarter in a row. And Hyundai Kia issued a recall that is a bit fiery and, of course, unfortunately dangerous. All of that and much, much more on The Topping Show. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder at least twice a day. I have to say he's quite handsome and brilliant. He, he's me, that, that's a joke. If you're an IT leader or a business owner and need a little assistance, you reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Now, going over to the business part of the podcast, you have Warner Brothers Studio slash Discovery Look like they're going to lose about $1.2 billion. Now, this is also the company that bought out what is the remnants of what was CNN, which CNN, they're not in any better shape. You had CNN plus their streaming platform fail within weeks with a mediocre fan here. of Maybe 12 people signed up for it. It had one of the worst ROIs ever. I think their target acquisition cost or the cost to get a new person to actually buy a streaming platform was around 60 grand. It was that comically unprofitable. Now, it looks like Warner Brothers slash Discovery Entity, their revenue did increase to $10.4 billion. Now, granted, the Barbie movie may very well help as well, since it's already hit, I believe, $700 million in box office sales. Granted, you split that with the movie theaters, but it's on track and it has intellectual property to very well hit that billion-dollar mark. And, of course, it'll be interesting to see, do they come up with a sequel to that? But, granted, you can't, well, I was about to say, you can't build a business on one intellectual property, but... I'm sure the publisher behind Harry Potter would like to disagree. Now, it looks like their streaming business reported a narrow $3 million loss on adjusted earnings earnings before interest, tax, and depreciation and amortization, also known as EBITDA, which, you know, acronyms always sound cool and fancy. Now, that's a big improvement considering they actually went from losing last, um, last year $518 million on their streaming service. Now, of course, every time you make a new car, new phone, new vehicle, new product, yeah, that huge upfront cost of the infrastructure to actually put it together, develop it, and produce it. And then over time, it does become more profitable. So it looks like they're starting to starting to bleed a little bit less. And maybe the next one or two fiscal quarters or years, they'll be able to get up to the profit part. Now, they also recently launched Max Streaming, which unfortunately has nothing to do with Mad Max, a dystopian movie with Mel Gibson. But it's actually what was remnants of HBO Max. Well, back in the day, it was HBO. And also, that's probably... Probably... Eh, I mean, that, that's probably one of the top business blunders in, just in terms of marketing, considering everyone knew HBO. It used to be Icon. They actually basically developed the subscription model because they would actually ship you a physical box, which is why they could have more spicy content because it wasn't being broadcasted publicly. You had to be part of that service, part of that subscription. So at the time, it was quite innovative, and some might say it was a trend. It certainly was a trendsetter back then. 
I mean, it should have been the first streaming company, but Rush is, you know, hindsight, sorry, 2020. So it'll be interesting to see if that streaming platform slowly becomes more profitable as well and where they'll be going from there. Now, it looks in terms of their total acquisition with their streaming services, it looks like the streaming subscribers actually slipped by 1.8 million, so now they're down to 95.8 million at the end of the quarter. Now that's a loss of 1.8 million from quarter one to quarter two, so not terrible, but again, if you're a streaming platform, it's all about what's the cost to acquire your customer. Well, shoot, that's a good business concept in general, but also if it's a lower, you know, losing customers quarter after quarter, you're gonna be in trouble before you know it, especially because streaming is becoming more and more and more competitive since literally every single studio is starting their own streaming channel. So it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. Other interesting business news, you have Jewel seeking $1 billion in funding. Now, this is from an anonymous source that reached out to the Bloomberg News team. And this is also coming from Jewel. The company nearly went bankrupt last year because the FDA and the government, US government, actually pulled the product from its shelves, which of course, is the most detrimental thing that could possibly happen. Before that actual product pull, they were basically the industry leader before e-cigs or for the e-cig vape category. Ironically, it was developed, I believe, by, I believe it was um, the Reynolds Group or R.J. Reynolds back in the 80s as a first vapor-based cigarette that was reusable. But it was comic, like most technologies at the time compared to the 80s versus now, is comically bulky, heavy, and purportedly it tastes like plastic. So. It was the kernel of the idea, but it took a couple decades for us to actually have the real profitable product hit the market. And when it did, Jewel was the name in the game. So they were growing exponentially. They are getting investments from the largest traditional tobacco companies on the planet, which those companies are also going to diversify as more and more restaurants and public areas, especially in the United States, are banning traditional tobacco smoke, but they do allow vape smoke or vaping, whatever you like to call it, a silly little act. Now, it looks like Jewel's is working with Jeffrey's financial group to raise the funds and the company's valuation is around was expected to be a little bit lower than the 38 billion that they claim it was worth in 2018 and i mean in terms of the concept of the e-cigarette the market is growing exponentially fast especially in the united states so in terms of the national quantifiable numbers it's like the number of e-cigarettes sold in the united states increased almost 50 percent over three years ending last december so the product is growing exponentially and granted, there's also no real knowledge or long-term studies on long-term health effects of this new product, which is a new wave of concerns that everyone's kind of interested to learn about as well, because the product is relative to, especially traditional tobacco, this product is so new, there's no long-term studies. So there's a lot to be unknown, and there's a lot of concern of the advertisements, some saying it's a safe alternative to traditional tobacco smoking. Well, it does have less chemicals, but there's also other issues as well. You have some, of course, this is anecdotal evidence where you're seeing cases in the news where you have some young folks who are getting into the vaping, they take a copious amount of it, and they're having some respiratory issues. So it'll be interesting to see what the long, real long-term effects are and if it is a truly safe alternative. And there's also the argument that it can be used to get away from traditional tobacco. There's a little, I want to say a little bit mixing of the evidence there because you also hear about people who are getting into vaping for the first time who've never touched a cigarette in their life. So that argument perhaps is not as strong as it used to be when we first heard about this new technology or new product hitting the streets, so to say. It'd be interesting to see they are the number one name and shoot, that's half of branding and marketing is just the prestige of that name. It'll be interesting to see, do they get that investment? And can they come back from how high they have fallen? They also just recently said they're gonna come out with a proprietary vaping device 
that would be parental control and age control. So apparently somehow we'll be able to verify your age. I have no idea if it's gonna require you to scan a government ID, or maybe it'll show you a picture of a VCR and it'll ask you what is this, and if you know what a VCR is, presumably you're old enough to use it. Or it'll ask you what a six shift is, which is the best way to drive three pedals all the way. Unfortunately, the youth are not exposed to that ex wonderful experience and they probably won't know what that is. So that, that might be that they'll just show pictures of those things and things and maybe that'll help qualify them. But I digress. In all seriousness, they came out with that, that little preview of a product a couple weeks ago. There's a lot of speculation on will it actually work. Time shall tell. Other interesting business news, you have Lionsgate to acquire E1 from Hasbro, which C- minus for the branding and the marketing of E1. You have the letter E and one is spelled out, but if you just hear it, you really have no idea what the ready hell it is. Now, it is actually a movie studio. So the acquisition is going to cost about $500 million in terms of, you know, when you still have these big acquisitions, they can sometimes take months or quarters to go through the finances, all the fun paperwork. So I expect that final deal to be actually going through towards the end of 2023. Now, in terms of the ROI for Hasbro, which is one of the most successful toy companies in history, it looks like they may have not done so well. So it looks like... Hasbro actually acquired E1 back in 2000, actually August of 2019 for $3.8 billion. So they're certainly losing their shirts on this one, so to say, or maybe perhaps more apt, more apt uh, little analogy, maybe losing their GI Joe's shirts. Something to that effect. It'll be interesting to see how much of an impact they'll have on their overall business. Now, according to the press release from Hasbro, they actually noted that, quote, the sale will include a talented team of employees, a content li library of nearly 6,500 titles, active productions for non-Hasbro-owned intellectual property, such as The Rookie, Yellow Jackets, and Naked and Afraid franchises, and the E1 uns unscripted businesses, which will include the rights for certain Hasbro-based Hasbro shows like Play-Doh Squashed. The sale includes Hasbro's interest in the Canadian film and TV operations of E1 Canada Limited. Now, when pressed for comment, you have Lionsgate's management saying that their, quote, Lionsgate's management team is experienced in entertainment and adept to add driving value, and we're glad to have found such a good home for our E1 film and TV business. We look forward to partnering with them, especially on a movie adaptation of Monopoly, unquote. Which, I was about to say this kind of, that would be... Perhaps the most boring movie in terms of, we already have play of monopolies. I mean, you look at the government, you got two choices in the United States. Perhaps more of a duopoly than a monopoly. But, you know, we got Republican, Democrat. Yeah, exactly. But it'll be interesting to see, will Disney do the same thing? They clearly cannot make a profitable movie in terms of most of their intellectual property, intellectual most of their movies are losing money these days. Is Hasbro thinking the same thing where maybe we're not making the best ROI, let's have someone else do it, we'll just get a licensing fee. Which, in terms of business, that's one of the easiest ways to make money. Look at the Dallas Cowboys. That's the best, that's the most valuable sporting team on the planet, which is astonishing to say, considering that you know soccer in Europe is hugely popular there. It's more valuable than soccer teams in Europe, which a couple. But one of the reasons it's so valuable is because marketing, branding, and licensing. If you hand the Dallas Cowboys a big enough check, you can put their logo on damn near anything, and they don't have to do anything. They they literally just say yes. You can put my logo on that shot glass or that what's more more adapt thing for a cowboys fan that portable grill 
or Bud Light. It doesn't cost them anything, but they get basically a royalty check or a licensing check in this case. So it'll be interesting to see maybe more of these companies and manufacturers of products will start to shift to have outsourced that because it's clear in this case, it really didn't seem to work too well. Now, other interesting business news, you have Apple sales falling for the third quarter in a row. So not, not so great for the company that is basically known for printing money. Now, it looks like its revenue slipped 1%, which again, not the end of the world, but for a multi-billion dollar company, that adds up. Now, it looks like it dropped down 1% to $81.8 billion for its quarter ending July 1st, marketing the third consecutive year-over-year -year drop in quarterly revenue for the world's most, one of the most valuable companies. The company actually said that their services, those revenues actually increased, and that's actually an all-time high of $21.2 billion. So there is a little silver lining. They're making less money from the physical products that they're known for, but relative to most companies, services is usually where they make more profit. So it's actually good that they're focusing on growing that part of their portfolio. Now, in terms of Apple's services and what they can actually consider those to be, that includes, you have the Apple Music, the Apple TV, or Apple TV Plus. So a lot of their subscription services, and of course you have the streaming, streaming wars. It'll be interesting to see which one grows the quickest and will Apple be able to make a profit off the streaming as most companies are actually bleeding money, they're losing money streaming, trying to keep their heads afloat just to see which streaming services are left. Now, it looks like in terms of the breakdown of the Apple product portfolios, you have the iPhone revenue coming in at $39.7 billion for the quarter, and that looks like it makes a problem, that was approximately a 2% year-over-year decline. You have Mac revenue at $6.8 billion for the quarter, that's a 7% drop. And then you have the iPad revenue, which that drop is nearly 20%. Now, granted, the same time period last year for this fiscal quarter, they actually came out with a, a new iPad. So this quarter, this year, you don't have the new iPad. No, although purportedly the new one would just be slightly thinner and slightly better resolution. Maybe a battery life that lasts longer than 24 months, perhaps. That, that might be too much to ask for, but it's one of those things where if you don't have the new product, it makes sense that sales are gonna slow down a little bit. Also, iPads have a fair amount of limitations compared to the other products, so I'm not too surprised that those are perhaps falling more than the other products as well. But it's also Apple, they're pretty good at printing money, so I don't think anyone's gonna be too worried anytime soon. Now, going over to the culture part of the podcast, you have trans swimmer Leia Thomas banned from competing in the worldwide competition. Now, Leia Thomas was a former UPenn swimming, and she, Leia Thomas actually was a 400th or 500th best male swimmer in the collegiate division, and then Leia Thomas decided to go over to the female team, just switched uniforms, and became number one. So in terms of, that is certainly uh, what many people consider cheating, which is where the, all the controversy comes from. Because I don't believe, in the beginning, Leia didn't take too many, any supplements, there's no surgery, so all the parts are still included. And it looks like some of the teammates are starting to actually reach out and actually, they're actually starting to voice their concerns, which for a while, they were not. When the University of Pennsylvania, which again, pretty, if you ask anyone uh, about the bath, uh, the uh, background of the University of Pen or Pence, they're um, morally vacuous to say the least. Now, in this case, the other, the girls on the female team, when Leah Thomas came in the locker room, they voiced their concerns and school said, tough luck. They actually said, you're the problem. So the girls who had a biological male coming into the locker room, watching them all changed in their birthday suits or lack of a suit perhaps, they were told that the girls, they're, they're, they're the problem. And they sent them to counseling. 
that's what happened. Perhaps the most prime example of blaming the victim. If I, I can't think of a, of a more accurate example of bl victim blaming in that case. I'm surprised the girls haven't sued the school, to be frank. Now, it looks like some of them are starting to speak up, and specifically Paula. And she actually spoke. I'm going to bring up this quick little summary of her. Now, she actually go to went to the U.S. What was this? She went before Congress to testify. So this is Paula Scallion. Uh, Scallon. I'm Paula Scanlon, a spokeswoman and advisor for the Independent Women's Forum and a former NCAA athlete. I am here today to share my personal story. I started swimming at a very young age, and by age eight, I was swimming competitively. And by late middle school, I was devoting at least 20 hours per week to swimming. I gave up countless Christmas holidays, weekends, and social events to work towards my goal of swimming Division I. A dream that came true when I began swimming for the University of Pennsylvania. While I am not an NCAA champion, I hold the New England Independent School League record in the 400-yard freestyle relay, a record that has stood since March of 2017. It's also a work ethic more Americans need. Very few people are actually willing to sacrifice down near anything, yet alone holidays and working and grinding 20 hours a week on one specific craft to improve themselves. In September of 2021, Leah Thomas began participating as a member of the Penn women's team. Leah, formerly Will, had personal best times in every freestyle event that were faster than the women's world records. Again, this is when they were in college athletes. So in, in the college division, Leo was breaking world records for the female division. Who would have thought? Once the season began, Thomas was leading the country in multiple events while only placing in the top 500 in those events on the men's team. Thomas later became an NCAA champion in the 500-yard freestyle, the first NCAA champion in our women's team history program. While many of you already know this, what you do not know is the experiences of the women on the University of Pennsylvania swim team. My teammates and I were forced to undress in the presence of Leah, a six-foot-four tall biological male fully intact with male genitalia. Now, where are all the people who, for decades, talked about safe spaces? Certainly, I thought everyone would agree that the restrooms and the facilities were supposed to be a safe space. 18 times per week. Some girls opted to change in bathroom stalls, and others used the family bathroom to avoid this. When we tried to voice our concerns to the athletic department, we were told that Leah's swimming and being in our locker room was a non-negotiable and we were offered psychological services to attempt to re-educate us to become comfortable with the idea of undressing in front of a male. It is astonishing how much our modern society is solely representing the book 1984 by George Orwell and surpassing it in terms of some of the, some of the themes and re-education in particular. To sum up the university's response, we, the women, were the problem, not the victims. We were expected to conform to move over and shut up. Our feelings didn't matter. The university was gaslighting and fear-mongering women to validate the feelings and identity of a male. As an attempt to voice my concern about the situation we were forced into, revealing the unjust and unfair treatment, I wrote an op-ed for the Daily Pennsylvanian, the student-run newspaper. I approached this from a scientific 
scientific, statistical perspective where I use my engineering background to discuss how Y chromosomes cannot be changed by any surgical procedure or systemic therapy. This biological fact lends itself to athletic advantages that cannot be mitigated by lowering testosterone levels. She's got more guts than most people on college campuses who were simply bent the knee and acquiesced to the other side of the political aisle as this has become a political issue. And also, most college campuses are pretty much a, la a lack of all diversity of thought. Unfortunately, it's pretty much an echo chamber for most people on the political left. These. Which are readily apparent in sports competitions and locker rooms. The Daily Pennsylvanian published my article on the evening of February 10th, 2022. Only a few hours later, my piece was retracted. I was given no notice nor reasoning. Again, I was silent. Another theme in 1984, rewriting history and manipulating the newspapers and publications to have all the information just mysteriously vanish. From my dissenting viewpoint and felt my First Amendment rights were denied by my university. This is representative of a greater issue, the destruction of free speech. Today, any discussion maintaining the sanctity of women's faces is labeled transphobic, bigoted, and hateful. What's bigoted and hateful is the discrimination against women and the efforts to erase women and our equal opportunities, dignity, and safe spaces. One might ask, why do I speak so passionately about issues that seem hypothetical, or some may perceive as only impacting a small number of women? This is not hypothetical. This is real. I know women who have lost roster spots and spots on the podium. I know of women with sexual trauma who are adversely impacted by having biological males in their locker room without their consent. I know this because I am one of these women. I was sexually assaulted on June 3rd of 2016. I was only 16 years old. I was able to forgive my- Remember the school said she's the problem. She, she needs to be ready to educate you see. That's, that's what the real issue according to the school is. Packer, the violence against women still exists. Let us not forget the viral Me Too movement that empowered female victims to speak up. It casts a spotlight on the widespread prevalence of sexual assault and abuse, including in scholarly and educational institutions. Individuals on this committee have previously stated violence against women is all too common. Don't forget Loudoun County, where in Virginia you had a very similar issue, only the, you had a boy dressing as a girl in the public school assault one girl and school covered it up and he did it again because the school covered it up because they were worried it would make the topic look bad of having a trans individual in the female bathrooms i am grateful for those members who have brought awareness to the violence against women in the past but unfortunately there's still much to be done as a sexual assault survivor Many policies pushed today completely ignore my experiences and many women like me. I ask the members of this committee, please consider this issue outside the lens of political affiliations and understand the true impact of ignoring the realities of womanhood. Future generations depend on us. Thank you for the opportunity to speak here today. So she's got a lot more guts than most people out there who have, again, come from college, surrounded by everyone with the same thought pattern. So it'll be interesting to see. So now, in terms of professionals, so going beyond the collegiate level, they banned Leah Thomas from competing. Now, the interesting thing that I wonder is, will 
this go back to the NCAA on college campuses, or will they just keep the trend of allowing people to compete on any team they want? Or more logically, as many people are saying, why not have a third category? Where you would have a more even playing field because you would have biological men, biological women, and you'd have a trans category for, for athletics. I think that'd be a lot less controversial than what's happening now where you have people who have their opportunities stolen from them when there's a clear physical advantage. It'd be interesting to see what goes down from here. Other interesting cultural news, you have Bud Light revenue down $390 million compared to the same time period last year. Now, Anheuser-Busch InBev had this announcement last Thursday. They reported their drop in sales and profits amid the ongoing boycott, which they shot themselves in the foot, where they chose Dylan Mulvaney to give Dylan a beer with Dylan's face on it, commemorating Dylan's 365 day of being a woman, or as many people are saying, dressing up as a woman and doing sexist women, things that are clearly to many people sexist and not logical, such as dressing up in high heels and hiking through a forest, which I asked my sister and my mother, that that's not something that women do, but Dylan thinks they do, so Dylan made a video about it and gets millions of dollars. Now, the company announced that its U.S. tax revenue, uh, US, uh, revenue dropped 10.5% in the second quarter, while its earnings before taxes, interest, and depreciation fell 28.2%. Now, according to the CEO, Mike Dork, uh, Dorcas, who's the Anheuser-Busch, the global conglomerate CBO, he said, quote, regardless of favorability, our consumers across all sentiment groups have three points of feedback in common. One, they want to enjoy the beer without debate. Two, they want Bud, they want Bud, to, Bud Light to focus on beer. Three, they want Bud Light to concentrate on platforms that all consumers love, such as NFL, veteran charity, folds of honor, and music, unquote. Now, I'm sure what we're all thinking the same thing is, well, duh, then why did you clearly choose to get involved in politics and lose, what was it, $28 billion in stock value from April 1st? Not a smart business move, and now they're pretending to not want to be in politics, while, again, they are very much political organization at this point, where they're just saying something without really saying anything at all. A talent usually reserved for the most morally vacuous politicians in power, but it'll be interesting to see, do people ever believe them with these messaging? I suspect not. Now, it looks like on Tuesday, a ri the rivals had a 11.8% surge in net sales for the second quarter and a 5% jump in financial volumes, with the U.S. increasing reflecting a shift in consumer purchase behavior. In fact, Coors Light and Miller Light are now 50% bigger than Bud Light by total industry dollars. Last year, Bud Light was bigger than both. Retailers are making space for the other brands as the consumers continue to shift their preferences. So if you are supporting the Bud Light boycott, you are doing phenomenal. Because again, for weeks and months, we were told, oh no, no, it's just a, a small weak dip in sales. This is not substantial. Well, about $400 million in sales lost, that's pretty substantial. Granted, they have 51 to 52 beer brands that they own, but as this continues, people are starting to move away more and more. And you're also having a precipitous drop in other Anheuser-Busch InBev properties as people start to realize what else they own. You see Budweiser, that brand is about, I believe, 10.3% drop in sales, which of course, Bud Light, Budweiser, that's, that's a pretty positive correlation. But you have Michelob Ultra, that's, again, that's down 3 to 5% every week over week. 
So people are starting to realize, well, not only just how many branches they own, but also how many better alternatives there are when the competition is literally inches away in a grocery refrigeration section, which is perhaps why it's the easiest boycott ever since the dawn of time. A lot of the beers taste darn near the same, and it takes so little effort to just move three inches and grab another case of whatever you want to drink, whether it be Coors or Miller Lite or Yangling, and those three brands are growing exponentially. And brilliantly enough, they don't have to do much in terms of marketing because Bud Light's shooting themselves in the foot consistently. That's probably a good metaphor there. <laughs> now, it'll be interesting to see, do they ever, can they pick back up from that or pro probably not, no. Other interesting cultural news, you have Bud Light sending out more tweets and getting shot down as the birds fall precipitously and die at the bottom of the bird cage. Now, you have a Bud Light weekend mindset tweet. Now, that has a girl holding a can of Bud Light. That got 89.9 thousand views. And again, all these statistics are taken within the first 24 hours of the tweet. So they're all equal. Again, the original post by Bud Light got 89.9 thousand views, 414 likes, and 0.46 so if you do the math, that's 0.46 of people who actually saw it liked it, which, yeah, that, that's ridiculously bad. Now, the top response, which again is what the youth call a ratio, in which the responses are actually more better received than the original tweet in and of itself. Now, the top response is a guy holding a can of Bud Light with a label on it that says for anal use only. That got 2,096 views and 87 likes, which if you do a little bit of math, that is a like ratio of 4.15%. So you have the original post where 0.46% of people who saw it liked it. And you have this first one, you have 4.15% of people who saw it liked it. Infinitely better. Now, the second top response was from Hillary. And that is a sponsor where she said, plenty of options here. And has a picture of her with the fridge of every, looks like every beer brand, but Anheuser-Busch InBev properties. And that had 4,516 views and 117 likes, which is still a 2.59% like ratio, so pretty darn good. Now, the highest like ratio is a third tweet from a guy saying, I think this is more your demographic now. And it is um, a man, a drag queen? A man in drag. I don't know if they're all queens. That's a debate in and of itself. I didn't see a crown, but it was a man dressed as a woman with uh, women clothing and makeup and uh, wig. And that got... 2,067 views and 108 likes, which is a 5.22% like ratio. So it's fascinating to see more and more as Bud Light keeps trying to push out these tweets, put out a massive volume, and yet they still consistently fall fat in their face as more of the consumers are just reposting and their takes are much more amusing and entertaining and more received by the mass out of the Twitter sphere. Or, as Elon would call it now, the X-sphere, perhaps. Other interesting cultural news, you have Bud Light having, tweeting a man dancing on a cooler. And, yeah, that, it failed to play. Now, apparently this man is such an alcoholic that he cannot stand to go 28 seconds without drinking piss water. I mean, Bud Light. And is a silly commercial where a man is, again, perhaps showing the, showing the intellect of a Bud Light user, perhaps as an accurate ad, he is walking on asphalt with no foot protection. So he's just barefoot 
and obviously had, oh, perhaps not obviously for Bud Light drinkers, but obviously for us, we know asphalt gets hot in the summer, so he's burning his feet on the asphalt. So he, again, priorities, he, he has to get drunk first, although the alcohol percentage is so small, we take copious amount of beer, Bud Light, which also ruin your taste buds, but I digress. So he's such an alcoholic, he lets his feet get burned, he opens up the cooler, and again, it's a $12 egg not good branding there, he opens up the cooler, goes inside, gets a can of Bud Light. He then jumps onto the cooler and proceeds to open the Bud Light, but he doesn't drink it because that's also the industry standards. They don't show people drinking in beer commercials, all brands actually. Kind of an unwritten rule that they go by. So his priorities are get a buzz off piss poor beer, piss water, rainwater, Bud Light, whatever you call it, versus protecting his feet from being burned. Again, showing the high, highlighting the intellect of the average Bud Light drinker perhaps. Now, again, all these stats are within 24 hours or taken at the 24-hour mark, so they're all equal. So that original tweet from Bud Light had 91,000 views, which, again, for a, a corporate brand, that's terrible. That's almost unfathomable how unsuccessful they are. And interestingly enough, the people who like Bud Light aren't even looking at it because most of the comments are people who don't like Bud Light. But let's dive in. So that, again, the original post got 91,000 views to of all the, of the 91,000 people who tuned in and saw the Bud Light tweet of the man with burning his feet and then jumping on the cooler, 259 people liked it. And I suspect half of them are Bud Light employees, but that's a like ratio of 0.28%. Yes, that's um, piss poor to say the least. Now, again, some of these I think might have been censored by now by Bud Light as they go back and they censor comments. Now, the third top response was a video of Alyssa Heiserschild, the brainchild behind the person who chose Dylan Mulvaney as a brand ambassador and gave Dylan a little can with Dylan's face on it. Alyssa Heiserschild, it's the video of her saying that the brand looked, quote unquote, too fratty, which of course is a great way to alienate a majority of your audience. And of course, the pictures of her drinking copious amounts of alcohol, including one from a prophylactic, which cover your ears, you know, the children were listening, as a fancy way of saying a condom. So the pictures of her being fragged in college came out, which again doesn't look good to be a hypocrite, although perhaps she fits in with Bud Light drinkers. And that got, the, the video of her doing that, that got 2,338 views and 132 likes, which is a 5.67% like ratio, which is phenomenally good. Now, the second top response actually has the old Jared Fogle, the old uh, Subway brand ambassador. Instead of holding a sandwich, he's holding a Bud Light, equally as good for your health as Subway the bread has so much sugar in it, other countries legally consider it a confectionery, which is a fancy way of saying a cookie or a, a sweet. It, it's so much sugar in that. But America, we think it's bread or they think it's bread. Now, that got 2,001 views and 116 likes, which is a 5.79% like ratio, which pretty darn good. Now, the top response to the original Bud Light tweet of a man dancing to get on top of a cooler to enjoy, well, I don't know if anyone truly does enjoy Bud Light, to consume a Bud Light. That one got, this one, again, this top response, this is from Alpha Fox, and it says, quote, how about you dance out an apology and admit you're wrong or all your ads are meaningless, unquote. An accurate statement, and that got 4,898 views and 409 likes, which, do a little bit of math, that is a like ratio of 8.3% which is phenomenally good. And it got more hearts than the original one. So the original tweet from Bud Light with the man jumping around trying to get the beer cooler 
That got 91,000 views and 259 likes. It's got a little under 5,000 views and it got 407 likes. As the youth might say, ratioed immediately Bud Light. Will they be able to turn around from this nosedive of terrible marketing decisions? But I would say still Magic 8-Ball says not so good. Not so good. Now, other interesting culture news is Bud Light buying positive tweets. Now, as I've been covering these Bud Light tweets for the past weeks and months, I've started to notice a pattern where a couple positive responses are coming through. They're coming to the surface. Now, for the first one or two weeks after they start tweeting again, it was every comment was negative. And of course, when you look at the little button, you click the button, it says, you know, what are you hiding in terms of the comments you're hiding? Those are even more entertaining as they are hilariously, uh, what's a nice way of saying entertaining, which most of them is listed higher shells standing above the Bud Light grave with a little peace bro pose that's just kneeling above it. And she certainly killed the brand for, you know, what was it? They lost $390 million in sales and $28 billion in stock. I think it's positive to say, or accurate to say she killed the brand, but they continue to censor that partially for, I, I suspect for litigation purposes. But nevertheless, they're starting to have some positive comments make it. And it made me wonder, how many of these are real? Who are these people who have a positive outlook on Bud Light? Are they maybe an employee of Bud Light? Are they a celebrity? Are they someone who does not feel alienated by Bud Light's decisions? You know, who are these people? So I looked at the one sent on August 2nd in particular, and that one was the Bud Light mindset tweet. Now, it looks like one of the top responses, which is positive, said, thanks for the reminder when they said, you know, which again, no one needs a reminder to drink Bud Light. They just look at a pond full of scum, perhaps. I guess that is somewhat of a reminder. Or they see a rain gutter or a pond. Nevertheless, this is from Alex Sasha G. And they said, thanks for the reminder. And I looked at the profile. They had, I think, under 200 followers, which... Again, I'm not one of those people who obsess on followers. I only have a little under, probably 230. Granted, my tweets are mostly just me. I'm not retweeting mostly, it's just my actual thoughts. And this person, I looked at their profile, all they do is retweet for a company by the name of At Millions, as well as Bud Light. So I'm starting to see, says, this Alex person, that's all they do. Now, I went further and I found someone that says, this profile is, Again, for the same August 2nd tweet from Bud Light saying, you know, what's, we have a mindset weekend. He had a tweet from just HB from CT, which I can only assume they're from Connecticut or they can't spell well or something like, again, C plus for marketing, maybe. But nevertheless, this person just tweeted, quote, see you tonight, unquote, which what a terrifying thought. Imagine if you had to, you're on a date or you went to a social event and you're looking forward to a Bud Light, like how... How dreary or how sad must your life must be like to look forward to a Bud Light? Like, I can't, I can't fathom. I, those people need help, like a, an extra friend in their life, or hitting the gym, or an extra hobby, or something. But yeah, to to look forward to seeing a, a Bud Light that as a horrifying thought. Now, this person again, I looked at this person's profile. Very few followers, and all this person does is retweet for the same company at millions, which maybe. B plus for marketing because it may, sounds cool. It's millions, but all this person does is retweet for them and a couple other corporate brands. So I suspect these either are bots or they're paid ambassadors. Although if they're paid, I would think they would have to actually say in these tweets sponsored by because the FTC is pretty strict on social media advertising these days. That's why every YouTube video 
in the beginning, it was the Wild West. You didn't know if someone was authentically supporting a brand or a, um, some type of food product. That's why you have to check that box on the YouTube channel or on the YouTube videos that says this is an, a sponsored video. So that way people know they are being incentivized to say certain things about a brand or some type of product. So it'll be interesting to see, do you, are they really buying these? Will, will we see this come to the forefront? Will we see some actual evidence leak through? I mean, if you have any evidence, feel free to reach out to me at, I'm at, at the topping or the topping show at gmail.com. Love to see anyone who has any insider information share the channel. Now, going out to more cultural news, you have Disney whistleblower showing alleged discrimination against conservatives, which not too surprised based on how Disney's operated for the past 20 years. Now, it looks like Disney prosecuted conservatives while compensating employees based on how they, how quote unquote woke virtue signaled they were. Now, this is, if they could prove this in court, this sounds like it'd be a huge lawsuit since again, you're not supposed to be able to discriminate against employees. And this actually comes thanks to a comic or a website by the name of Bound Into Comics, which I do warn you, if you look at the URL, it's quite horrifying. It's a picture of the She-Hulk in that type of pose in a t-shirt. Horrifying things. Maybe this, maybe the show is supposed to be horror. Maybe that, maybe you just put the wrong category on the Netflix. That's why I didn't do so good. Now, it looks like the Swiss Blur claims that the company required employees to keep diversity, equity, and inclusion virtue diaries that determined whether the employees would receive promotion, raises, or even keep their job. And the whistleblower also claimed that the company systematically persecuted conservative employees. Now, again, I do not recommend, from a health perspective, to make this a drinking game when I say 1984 you drink, because unfortunately, modern society is representing that book more and more, or in many cases, actually looking worse than that book. But again, there are many accurate parallels, so I do reference it. Imagine keeping a diary where your employer knows what you're doing outside of work and inside of work about your beliefs and your volunteering work, where you're putting, where you're donating your money. That sounds so dystopian and yet not all too surprising for some of these companies. Now, the whistleblower supplied a series of documents to YouTube and Scooper WDW Pro who said, quote, it is our understanding that Disney, since the summer of 2020, many employees of the company have been required to maintain their various virtuous actions within the diversity, equity, and inclusion, and that the diary of their, quote, good deeds, unquote, was part of their maintaining of their job security, but not only that, but in fact, they also tied to their job compensation, if you can believe it. Now, he added to say, quote, we're talking about bonuses that you might not receive if you went afoul of the Tandra Newton, the prior chief diversity officer at Disney, if you were afoul of her belief system. Now, ironically enough, it's not diversity of thought. Now, continue on to say that, so, quote, so if you went beyond not, not just filling out your Word document where you had DEI requirements noted for your MBO document, let's say, but instead you were actually on social media saying that you supported some of the conservative values and you were going to be brought into HR. So even if you're on your first personal Facebook, your first personal Twitter, and you dared to tweet something moderately conservative, you would actually have HR reaching out to you at Disney. How dystopian is that? Unless you're representing the brand, I see no reason why a company would actively have that be any part of their purview of monitoring their employees or worrying about their employees' values or their 
actual statements in any way or the online social media activity. Now, WD Pro added, quote, the whistleblower says that if they had been known what Disney was like, they would have been devastated then because they've been dreaming because they dreamed of working for Disney for so long. Once they received the job and they actually worked at Disney, there was a nightmare nightmare and that they never worked at a company like that. They had to do they had so many things that were tied to their pay. Now, the YouTuber also goes on to state that, quote, there's an individual under the Tondra Newton who has apparently also instituted a new process by which to hire people. And that hiring process is part of the DEI initiative. He stripped out the needs for a significant number of, or sorry, he stripped out the need for a significant number of applicants to meet any kind of criteria whatsoever. Interestingly enough, it goes on to say also, and also perhaps there is a huge effort to make sure that such candidates received a higher chance of being approved by in larger numbers. And they continue to show some documents and it's quite horrifying to see how dystopian this is where they're looking into your personal lives. And it looks like these are also tied to executives actions as well in terms of compensation bonuses. So it looks like the company's president of Disney advertising sales, Rita Farrow, detailed that she was hoping to triple the company's 100 million commitments for advertising partners in to DEI in part of 2022. It looks like she says, quote, this year, I hope we are going to triple that. We want to make sure that every advertiser who's coming to the table is taking it up from investments and we're making in this space and be able to use our platform to really target and build upon customer base. And it sounds like some of these executives, they were scrutinized as well. So it wasn't just the first line employees. So it'd be fascinating to see, is this why they recently let this chief diversity officer go? And do you think they're actually going to change some of these policies? Or do you think it's just going to be more of the same? Because you've seen a couple of companies go through these regurgitated they're actually getting rid of their chief diversity officers in many cases. There's a lot of speculation of why they're currently doing that. And if it's going to be a long-term trend or if they're just simply trying to cover their, you know, they're trying to decrease their cost. It'll be interesting to see where they go from here. But as usual, it doesn't seem like it's good news for Disney or unfortunately for their employees as well. Other interesting culture news, you have Bud Light causing companies to change their hiring practices. Now, Ever since the Bud Light debacle, or perhaps better known as the Bud Light business blunder of the year, where they chose a brand ambassador whose average age was in their teens, Dylan Mulvaney, you had the huge boycott in which they lost $28 billion in stock valuation and about $400 million in sales compared to the same time period last year. So a lot of these companies are looking at that wondering, well, golly, probably not a prudent idea to replicate that business blunder. Now, this has caused some companies actually to look for quote-unquote non-woke employees. Now, there's actually a recent article from the New York Post, and they found out that there's a job ad that was literally posted for a quote-unquote non-woke employee. It comes from a small IT business run in rural Western Australia called Wallace Computer Solutions. Now, this company was quite frank. They said, quote, We are looking for an MSP technician who is now looking for a position in a company that is not woke and value diversity of thought, unquote. Which, yeah, I would say that's a pretty darn thing to have in terms of how you grow a company. I always purport, all even groups of friends, a great way to grow is diversity of opinion. That's really where you actually get to challenge each other, learn about different philosophies, ideals, and see which ones boil to the surface when you're going through cordial debates. Now, they went on to say, quote, applicants were informed that, was, that there would be a, quote, no requirements for pronouns, quote, 
even even uh, more spicy, they said, quote, we know what a woman is, unquote. Now, this is in their advertisement. And, of course, this caused them to get a myriad of applicants. And, of course, a lot of people who are quite angry and upset that they dare list these types of things in their ads. And they even say, go, they go on to say, we do not require you to have a pandemic poke. Now, I have to somewhat obfuscate and change some of the verbiage because, believe it or not, depending on what terms you use, you actually get your videos taken off of YouTube. Ridiculous, I know, which is why I will build this out on Rumble shortly. Now, they also say, so you do not have to have, they don't care about your medical conditions in terms of what you've been putting into your body. That's your decision. And it'll be interesting to see from a hiring practice standpoint, are we going to see more companies embrace this? And will you see other companies specifically post jobs saying they are woke? You're seeing this more and more in business where it's becoming more and more political. And in terms of what you want the business to stand for, would it be helpful to have that company where the employees know right off the bat when they're interviewing what the company stands for, whether they're a left-hand leading company or a right-leaning company, it might cut down on, on, on the number of turnover and maybe they have a high retention rate because there's more transparency. And could this be used as a marketing tool specifically to get the candidates you want in terms of building your company culture, whether it be left or right? So it's fascinating. We, I never saw anything like this a couple of years ago. And I spent a good amount of my time on LinkedIn, whether I'm posting job um, openings for my company, or I'm looking to connect with other, other folks in the industries. It's fascinating to see, will we see more companies follow this pattern? I actually suspect they will, because I think it actually will help the retention rate of employees because there's more transparency, they know what they're getting into. Just like with Disney, you're seeing a lot of people leaving that company because they're discriminated against because they're conservative. So I actually think in terms of business practices, might be a net benefit. Now, other interesting culture to use, you have Twitter X. They're going to let you hide your check marks. I'll go, I guess Elon just wants us to call it X, the X app, which will soon do everything apparently. Now, it's fascinating to see from a cultural perspective, if you look at Twitter back in the day before Elon owned it, one of the most prestigious things you could ever get was the blue check mark. And of course, to get it, it was highly, it was not equal at all. There were different requirements for different people. More often than not, they alienated or discriminated against people philosophically more on the right side of the political aisle. I've yet to see anyone left on the political aisle banned on Twitter back in the day. And the blue check mark was, you know, that's how the account was verified. It was supposed to be a way to make it look more authentic. But you started to see a lot of anecdotal evidence where you actually had emails and text leaks showing, oh yeah, they would give it to you. Like I believe it was a medium sized news outlet that said, oh yeah, we'll give it to you, but it cost you like 10 grand or some copious amount of money in that case, or you have to say certain things. I remember back in my day when I first tried to get on Twitter, they asked me to, I tried to verify, and they asked for a couple documents, I believe a couple URLs to articles I've written, a couple you know, different websites. So I, I sent them the websites and the, to a couple articles I wrote, and I sent them a website to my company, my LinkedIn profile, my you know a couple of my other social media profiles to show that I was maybe well, it was a good way to verify me. I was on all those platforms, same pictures, and that's what I do. And they never did actually verify me. So when Elon came, he thought, you know what? We're going to make it all equal. If you've got eight bucks a month, you can be authorized or verified. And brilliantly enough, it's also a way to help profit Twitter X, or perhaps more accurately, increase their revenue because they're not still not profitable. 
and Elon is desperately trying to get this to pull up from the nosedive of spending money. Now, he's done a great job. He cut a lot of fat from the company. They used to have about 8,000 employees. He got rid of 6,000. And I would argue most of them are activists because what did they do? If you go on Twitter, it's about the same or better interaction from an end user perspective. So the user experience, which of course is the key, whether it's retail or an application, it's the same, if not better. So it seems like he made a great decision to cut all that cost from the company, but still they're not making money. He lost about 50% of the advertisers when he bought the company. And again, advertisers spend a lot of money. That's why he hired Miss Macarena or Lacarino, Yacarino, Macarena. I forget her name, but nevertheless, he hired a CEO who specifically had advertising background. Linda Yacanaro, that's what it is. Now, they're still not coming back and actually he's doing an advertisement saying it's 50% off ads. So depending on what you're doing for a living or what product you're pushing, it might make sense to advertise on Twitter, especially at that new rate. But a lot of people were starting to have a pejorative view of the little blue check mark because they thought you just have $8, which is an accomplishment in and of itself because $8 is more than $0. So maybe perhaps you could say you're doing something in life because you got the $8 a month. Now, there are also, also a myriad of benefits for doing that as well. In terms of the benefits of doing that, the Twitter Blue, which is now known as X Blue for that $8 month subscription, you actually have a 50% 50, 50 reduction in ads. You get prioritized rankings of the user's posts and conversations in search, which I don't know about that. Again, I've, I don't have a lot of followers at Twitter. I, I'm at N-I-C-T-O-P-P-I-N-G. But I really haven't seen much of a difference in my traction in terms of when I post something. The views really aren't more than what they were prior. From my perspective, I see less advertisements, so I'm seeing some value. But it, I don't see the overall... I'm not seeing all the benefits they said it would have. So they reportedly said, again, that they would have 50% reduction in ads, prioritized ranks of their profile posts, and as well as the ability to post up to 25,000 characters versus the traditional 280 limit. Also, you have the ability to upload videos up to three hours long or eight gigabytes in size. And Musk also said that Blue subscribers are eligible to receive a share of advertising revenue, which initially based on ads displaying replied to the ads, based on ads displayed in replies to their post. So you do get quite some benefits from that perspective, but it is interesting to see some people thought it was a pejorative thing to have and some people are actually ashamed of it, including a lot of the celebrities who everyone, all the celebrities are pretending that Twitter and X is bad and they want to leave it and they don't want to be seen as supporting Elon, but they still want to be high in the rankings and they still want the benefits of perhaps having less ads. So Elon's actually giving you a, an option to hide it. It's fascinating that from a cultural perspective, what was the coolest thing in the world is now not so much and it's gotten to the point where people want to hide it. Interestingly enough, I wouldn't be surprised if you just decided to charge an extra dollar. So for $8 a month, you get the X blue, but for $9 a month, you get the X blue hidden. So you get all the benefits, plus you have the option to hide it. I'm surprised you didn't do an upcharge for it because I'm sure the people who really want to hide that would probably pay what, a dollar a month, 12 bucks a year. They'd probably be willing to pay for that. So it's interesting to see that that seems to be a, a quote unquote free feature for the people who are already paying for X Blue. Other interesting cultural news, you have Lizzo sued on grounds of fat shaming and sex abuse. Perhaps the best case of the pot calling the kettle black or the cow calling the cow big. So in that perspective, but 
And it's one of those things where I would always argue it's fair game to argue her weight because it's for personality. She proudly goes out and says how great it is to be big. And she's all about, quote-unquote, body positivity, which in terms of work ethic and, you know, trying to improve yourself, I would always say that's perhaps the definition of lazy. You should always want to improve yourself both physically, mentally, whether you're hitting the gym, reading extra books. But then you have Lizzo, who's just probably morbidly obese. I suppose she she could probably read. I'll, I've never seen her with a book, perhaps on the same level of LeBron James, who always has a book, but can't tell you what it's about. Now, her latest stunt is her actually twerking, or it looks like she has a, has a seizure while wearing barely any clothes and destroying, many would say, destroying a glass flute. It used to be James Madison's, one of the founding fathers, which was, again, it was given to him as a gift. And she actually played it, which in terms of historical provenance, you're not supposed to play something that was a display piece. But I digress. That was a great way to piss off historians as well as look disgusting as usual. Now, it looks like the suit is being brought by ex-dancers Ariana David, Crystal Williams, and Noel Rodriguez. Now, cover your ears in terms of if you have children listening, because this certainly is not child appropriate. Now, it looks like they claimed that they were forced to perform sexual acts at a with a banana at a strip club, and Lizzo was also shaming them for gaining weight. Perhaps because she's the only one who wants to be ginormous? Only she could be top... What's the nice way of saying... She could barely fit in a Mini Cooper boat. She wants to be the biggest, quite literally. Not just the center of attention, but she wants to have her own gravitational pull. Which, she might be there soon. Now, this actually thanks to a report from the Daily Mail. And I still understand why she's famous, besides the fact that mainstream media wants to glorify being morbidly obese. It's Her music is, I'd say, ear-wrenching at best. I've suffered in terms of I've heard one or two of her lyrics. And... Yeah, I, I, needless to say, it was an uncomfortable experience. Now, thank, thankfully, I didn't have to see a music video because, good God, my eyes can only melt so much. It, it, similar to the end scene on Indiana Jones and the Temple of, what is it, in the Lost Ark, where if you open the Ark, you look inside, your, your eyes melt. I can only assume that's what happens when you watch more than maybe two music videos starring Lizzo. Again, I wouldn't risk it. It might be true. It's not worth the risk, trust me. Now, in terms of the details, and dear God, these uh, well, these pictures. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. In this case, perhaps it's worth a thousand Big Macs. But it looks like Ron Zambrero is the woman's lawyer who, who said in the suit that they were stunned about Lizzo and her management and the way they treated the performers. And they said, while she privately she weight shames her dancers and demeans them in ways that are not illegal but absolutely demoralizing. Now, it looks like Lizzo is not the only named defendant in the case, which was filed in Los Angeles Superior Court last Tuesday. Her dance captain, Shirlene Quigley, is also facing a myriad of allegations. Now, Quigley, according to the lawsuit, shared lewd sexual fantasies and publicly discussed the virginity of one of the plaintiffs while berating those who had premarital sex. Which, again, when you're talking about your, when you're talking to your employees, there's certain things that are obviously off-limits and obviously personal, Although, perhaps for them, not obviously, because... Or no, no, no. Perhaps I should clarify. For those who have more than a rudimentary educational... Oh, rudimentary intellect level, they would know, oh yeah, you don't talk about certain things. They're private. And obviously, they make people feel uncomfortable. Now, they continue to say that the complaints for all the damages include a hostile work environment, sexual harassment, religious harassment, 
racial harassment, disability discrimination, and a failure to prevent remedy or to, to prevent or remedy the harassment. Now, Lisso is specifically accused of disability discrimination, creating a hostile work environment, sexual harassment, and failing to stop said issues. Now, unfortunately, this article has pictures and oh, good God. Americans used to be so proud. Americans used to really be proud and physically fit and mentally fit. And dear God, how far we've fallen. Now, it looks like in terms of the nitty gritty details, Lizzo actually, one of the, geez Louise, one of the dancers actually alleged that the hostile work environment, that she wouldn't let them go to the bathroom. And after working out or dancing for 12 hours, they uh, relieved themselves in their clothes because they were so scared to actually ask for a bathroom break, apparently. Now, they go on to say that Lizzo actually took them to a strip club. And again, not a prudent business decision at all, because obviously it is just inappropriate to say the least. And some of them, they went to a, I believe it's a red light, uh, another country which has lack lax laws around the strip club activities and she was instructing so we actually had lizzo allegedly turning her attention to miss davis and actually touched her breast and pressuring her employee to touch the breast of one of the they say artists in this article but it's a stripper uh, which i guess is a form of employment and well i don't know about that but it looks like davis actually refused multiple times while the pops are allegedly chanting louder and louder, which that could only be... Imagine having Godzilla next to you yelling at your ear louder and louder. That's got to be pretty intimidating because she might eat you. Now, it looks like Davis refused multiple times and they louder and louder, but she eventually did acquiesce and touch the performer. Now, the plaintiffs, were, the plaintiffs were gassed on how little Lizzo regard showed for the bodily autonomy of her employees and those around her, especially in the presence of many people who she who employed. Now, they go on to say... In another instance, the plaintiffs claimed that Lizzo invited the dancers to a club in Paris, but failed to mention that it was a nude cabaret bar. This shocked the dancers who, Lizzo said, robbed them of the choice not to participate. Now, this actually happened twice, so fool me once, shame on you, fool me once, shame on me. Although, again, from the employee perspective, they, might have, they were probably in fear of losing their job, which is why they felt they had to go a second time. And then you also had them interacting with the performers putting bananas into their junk and then playing with bananas as they left the junk. It is an entirely morally vacuous situation and even more disgusting at the hypocrisy that is Lizzo. And yet people still worship her for reasons. Now, will this person actually have any fall in terms of their fan base? That's what I want to know because every mainstream, every mainstream media company is saying how great she is for years because of body positivity, which again, is ridiculous. Everyone should always be striving to be better in every way conceivable. But will this actually chip away at the big ginormous, will this chip away at her? There's a lot of material to chip away at. Will it be enough to actually chip away her fan base? Or will they, will they continue to just support her? I'll be interested to see, but I always say time shall tell. Going on to the political part of the podcast, you have the U.S. spent over a billion dollars on EV buses for reasons. Because who wouldn't want an EV when you can have a diesel truck last, you know, 
a million miles and a quarter of a century, let's get an EV that are basically right now with the current technology we have disposable. Now, in particular, one Michigan school noted that the buses are costing about five times what the government said they would. And the average EV bus for them is costing 3.4 to 4.4 to 4 times per cost, but that's without the charging. So if you look at the total cost, more around five. Now, they're also saying that they're getting 120 miles per charge, but if there's an uphill or pretty much any geography where there's hills, it drops precipitously, which makes sense. The vehicle has to work harder. Same thing happens with gas engines. You have to rev it a little bit more. But in this case, kind of like hauling anything more than a tissue box in an electric truck, the range drops precipitously to comical rates. Now, another issue with these EVs is the support from third parties. They're just like smartphones. You can't have Bob down the street sufficiently service your EV vehicle because he doesn't have the software suite or he doesn't have a team of software engineers to plug in there. Because it's, again, it's basically a smartphone on wheels. And with diesel trucks and diesel school buses, there are a myriad of mechanics across the nation who could fix it easily. Not only with their current skill set, skill, skill set and knowledge set, but also because of the myriad of parts that are pretty much at every auto zone. Or auto, all, there are so many of those parts where you can fix it, as opposed to when's the last time you tried to fix a cell phone? You have to go to a shady, in, in very rare cases where you have a third party that can fix it, sometimes the software actually disable the phone. Apple's very good at noticing and detecting third party parts that are put into their iPhones, which is an industry in and of itself. But again, it's one of those things where everyone had good intentions. They thought these school buses are going to be magical, but Miss Frizzle was not on board. That is a 90s burn for those in the audience who appreciate the old cartoons. Now, It'll be interesting to see where the schools go from here, if they try to back out, or hopefully they still have their diesel fleet. But you also have Michigan being a colder climate. Another thing not enough people are talking about is the nuances of the geography and how that has an impact on EVs as well. Just like, just like how solar would be a useless technology in Portland, Oregon, because I believe, well, not only with the copious amounts of weed that they smoke, that's all in the air blocking the sun, but it's also pretty much in terms of weather, it's a geographically pretty much cloudy the whole year. So just like putting in solar panels in Russia, while it is cloudy the whole year, really doesn't make much sense. In California, that makes more sense. It's sunny pretty much every day over there. So fiscally speaking, you'll get an ROI much quicker. But unfortunately, a lot of people, especially politicians, are usually blind to facts, logic, or reason. They just want to have a cookie-cutter approach where they have one size fit all. Well, in fact, that is not true, both culturally and geographically. The United States is one of the most diverse places on the planet. And are also the best, but that's just me. Other interesting political news, you have the incandescent light bulb under attack and killed by the Biden administration. Now, I might be, might be a little bombastic for some with that statement, but it is actually true. It is a long, it, was a lo it wasn't just one act or one stroke of a pen. It was many years of politicians attacking incandescent light bulbs, which is perhaps one of my favorite examples of a, of a useless thing nobody cares about. Like if you talk to a mom and pop, what do you want your government to be doing? Do you want them to be lowering taxes, fixing the roads, decreasing the crime? Yeah, those, are, those make more sense, but light bulbs? Who is writing their congressperson or the, their, the House of Representatives or the Senator saying, hey, hey, Bobby, I want you to ban these light bulbs. Get rid of them. The most useless topic on the planet but in some cases they use a little bit more energy than the led light bulbs 
or the compact fluorescent light bulbs. So you must go after them. Another great example of them saying, we're not doing what we're doing, but then they actually do it. You saw this with gas stoves in New York and other areas of the United States where they said, oh yeah, we're, we're just going to get rid of gas in certain parts. And before you know it, they're banning it in all construction of all new homes. Another perfect example of politicians lying on the left and the right. Now, this comes after decades of Democrats outlawing light bulbs. And again, an issue I have with this in terms of the environment, compact fluorescent light bulbs are garbage because look at the warning label on them. They contain mercury. That's a, as a something on the periodic table of elements you don't want to mess around with. There's a reason you don't buy mercury thermometers anymore because if not handled properly, the vapors are extremely hazardous. There's a lot of negative health consequences from that. That's why many industries moved away from using it. Now, you contrast with, so that way, that means if, and this is a big if, if you have someone who is aware of that and they're going to recycle this in an environmentally friendly way, they have to take extra steps to find a place that's going to take that particular compact fluorescent light bulb as opposed to just chucking it in the trash. Now, the incandescent light bulb, while it uses more electricity, guess what? There's nothing really hazardous in there. Toss it in the trash. Also, if they weren't engineered to fail, they would last years. You have, a, I believe it's a firehouse in California where they have an incandescent light bulb that's been turned on for, I believe, over 100 years, and it still won't die. That's partially because they're now engineered to fail, which unfortunately is a theme you see with a lot of products this, these days. Back in the day when they first came out with the incandescent light bulb and Thomas Edison actually perfected the design, all the materials made them last, quote unquote, too long. So years later, they actually changed the materials so they would time out. Like literally, after a certain amount of hours, they're engineered to just break. So you have to buy another one. If manufacturers didn't do that, you have a much more exceptional return on investment from that light bulb. And again, in terms of contributing to the landfills, I would argue that's actually better for the environment. So if any government intervention at all was needed, which again, I'm not a fan of any intervention pretty much most of the times in business-wise, because they usually make the situation worse for the consumer and the businesses. But in this situation, why not have a law that says, okay, you can have this incandescent light bulb, but it has to last a certain amount of hours. They would switch back to the other materials. Unfortunately, that might raise the cost, but if it lasts longer, it's still good for the consumer. Or even better, just allow the free market to do what the free market wants and they make what the consumer wants and people buy what they want. And manufacturers and consumers are rewarded appropriately. But I digress. Let's get into the specifics of how did this happen? Because you're going to see this theme with a lot of topics these days. Now, it looks like this road began back in 2007 with the, again, euphemisms. There's, there's a whole group of people in government who just get paid to write fancy titles for bills, I swear. Probably a pretty easy gig that'll be replaced by ChatGDP. Now, it looks like this is in 2007, you had the Energy Independence and Security Act that was passed, which is hilariously ironic because. You know, instead of being energy independent and drilling on, you know, making more natural gas in the United States and actually refining more fossil fuels, we really import it from countries that hate us and use less reliable alternatives. But I digress. Another topic from another time. Now, the 2007 Energy Independence and Security Act passed, and that law required the D Department of Energy to evaluate whether efficiency standards for light bulbs needed to be set or amended and require a minimum standard of energy efficiency for light bulbs of 45 lumens per watt to be considered. The 2007 law required that if the DOE determined the new energy efficiency standards were necessary, they would go into effect January 1st, 2017. However, both policies or the policies intervened as Trump administration appealed those rules. 
Now, they go on to say that not all light bulbs are included in the span. The exceptions are made on, a whole, on a many of them, including appliance lamps, black light lamps, bug, bug lamps, because they want you to eat the bugs. Conspiracy? Perhaps not. Now, colored lamps, general service fluorescent lamps, marine lamps, marine signal service lamps, mine service lamps, silver bowl lamps, showcase lamps, and travel, traffic signal lamps. Many, many exceptions. However, like every time a government law comes out, the exceptions are usually pretty much just all taken away. They say, oh yeah, we're going to pass this, but we'll have exceptions for this. But then after you know a little bit of time, they say, oh yeah, yeah we're going to go after those. You saw this with the stoves, the gas stoves, you see this with guns. There's, it's one of those things where it is cliche to say, but if you give them an inch, they will take a mile or two these days. Now, they also continue saying, while 45 lumens per watt energy standard was being phased in, in December, the Biden administration kickstarted the process to consider increasing the energy efficiency standard for light bulbs that are over 120 lumens per watt for the most common light bulb. That would accelerate the transition away from the compact fluorescent bulbs as well. So perhaps they're finally starting to wake up to the fact that mercury isn't a good thing, and they're going to look at more efficient LEDs. Now, Unfortunately, LEDs are much, much more expensive. So there's a balance with most things in life, and of course, nothing is free. Well, depending on what you get from the government, but it costs someone something, so I would actually take that back. But it's also one of those issues where, guess where those are made? Usually not here. There's a huge infrastructure of main USA incandescent light bulbs. And granted, I'm probably one of the last old souls who care, still cares about that. This table, 100% made in the USA, also by me, but all the components I bought specifically because the components were made in the USA from the skew, from the screws to the bolts to the legs of the table. My legs too, but it's fascinating to see will this really ban it or will someone push against it? Will a politician take up this cause? Which would be almost for the for the comical relief. I'd be interested to see if a presidential nominee focuses in on the light bulbs. Just because again, light bulbs is not the end of the world, it's a small thing, but perhaps a good metaphor. Now, I'm saying this is a very important copy-paste in terms of political ideology or political actions because we're seeing the same thing with the automotive community. The reason they're getting away from V8s and adopting EVs is because of tailpipe emission standards. Now, they're not they're not technically saying that you cannot make a V8. There's not a law that says you can't make a V12 with a stick shift, as every, well, most cars should. Perhaps they'll get a couple of V8s or stick shift as well, just for diversity, of course. But... There's no law saying you can't make a V8 or a V10 with a stick shift. There are increasing exponentially the rates, or rather decreasing the rates that they're allowing for tailpipe emission standards and fleet averages. That being the fleet average of every model that you make of a vehicle. And they're saying it has to be a certain amount. Now, if you're saying it has to be a certain amount, the only way with the current technology we have is to make EVs to offset the other vehicles you're making. Or in some cases, killing all the cars together and making 100% EVs. So in both cases, it's very much a de facto ban. And again, being a purveyor and a, someone who actually appreciates the free market, I'm very much against those things when you see them happening on the left and the right side of the political aisle. So it'll be interesting to see, will someone run for president and for the sake of the incandescent light bulb? Perhaps someone should call the Trump team or the DeSantis team and see, maybe, I was gonna say, the DeSantis team is long overdue for a political win. Maybe this will help them pull out of the tailspin. Time shall tell. Now, 
Going on to the business blunder of the day, we have Kia Hyundai issuing a recall. Now, the two companies have long since been partnered together, so it's the same company, similar to how General Motors makes both Chevrolet and Buick and Cadillac and GMC. Now, you have Hyundai Kia recalling 92,000 vehicles. And even worse, it's due to a potential fire. Now, you see automotive companies having recalls every two minutes these days because they have so many components compared to vehicles make, made previously. That's why, statistically speaking, they're less reliable now than they were because there's a lot of accessories that you don't need that they cram in there. Now, it's unfortunate here because in this case, it actually is a safety concern, which is, of course, in terms of PR and consumer safety is the worst type of recall you have. Now, the company actually noted that the recall of the 92,000 vehicles is due to some of the vehicle's electric oil pump controllers, which could start a fire. Not good, obviously. Now, it looks like specifically the Hyundai models that will be affected were the ones manufactured between, or model year, rather, 2023-2004, the Palisade, the Tuscan, the Sonata, the Elantra, Elantra, and Kona vehicles. Now, Kia is recalling their model of the years 2003-2004, the Soul, the Sportage, Salato vehicles, now, this is according to documentation obtained by the National Highway Traffic Association, also known as oh, NHTSA. Not the best acronym, but they tried. Now, it looks like the problem occurs when, quote, the electric controller for the idle stop and go oil pump assembly that contains damaged electrical components and can cause the pump controller to overheat, causing the risk of fire. And obviously, outlook is not so good. So, the company's come a long way in the past 10 years, especially in terms of their fit and their quality, but have a recall that's actually a safety concern, that's, that's gotta be the business blunder of the day. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. We're trying to get to 3,000 subscribers by the end of August, so I especially appreciate you taking time to click that subscribe button. Also, don't forget to like, as well as comment. Your feedback is greatly appreciated as we make the show better and better every day. I'm really trying to get better at slowing down my pace of speech, so thanks to the comments, I know that it is something I need to focus on. Also. Don't forget to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone. Just stay safe and fight the good fight.